What up? Welcome to episode 132 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, or should I say boy, ready to talk some wrestling. So, uh, we're coming off a really busy week with Keep the Kayfabe, being at Crusher Fest. I've had my candle business going crazy. Steve's traveling. Charlie's got underwear modeling uh, gigs to fill. Uh, I think Gary is actually in a, a auditioning for American Idol. So it's just me and Matt tonight, and we're calling this show High Spots. So uh, we're just coming off of Forbidden Door. We both watched it. We thought it was a great show, but I don't think either of us have enough in the tank to talk about it tonight. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk man to man about our favorite rivalries that influenced us as wrestling enthusiasts to this day, since me and Matt are in a similar age. Uh, so we didn't really say who we were going to have. We just came up with the topic probably 15 minutes ago, and we're going to have a little fun tonight on High Spots. So let's get to talk to who we are talking to tonight. He's over in Bayview. He keeps it freshly squeezed. His name is Matt Michelson. What up, Matt? You think you know me? No. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I actually just watched the Edge documentary on AE. Like I said, I've been busy with candles and shit. So I've been throwing that show on and it's been great. I've been watching rivalries. I've been watching the biographies and I watched the Edge one. And I mean, Fuck, there's just so many good stories in wrestling. So many comeback stories. I mean, probably next season they'll do Brian Danielson and they'll show how like crazy fucked up his neck was. And now he's doing things what he did with Okada this last weekend. Like shit is unheard of. So many good stories. And Edge was one of them. And I always love that intro music of his. Because we really don't know the guy until you watch the A&E biography. He was phenomenal. He still is phenomenal. And one of the cool things about A&E is they have another show on rivalries in WWE. So Mm -hmm. tonight on High Spots, that's going to be the aim of our focus is talking about some classic rivalries in professional wrestling. It's going to be really interesting. We're going to talk about different eras, tag teams versus singles rivalries, different promotions, WWE, AEW, NXT, even maybe we'll see. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be a fun show. Absolutely. Can't wait, Matt. So let's get things started. I will go first. One of my rivalries that basically I would not be sitting in this chair today in front of a computer with a a person like Matt tonight. If this rivalry never existed, I don't know if I would have stuck with wrestling because when it did happen, I was hooked and I'm forever wrestling fan. It made me believe it was Brett, the hitman heart versus Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels 
the sexy boy that he is, is my favorite wrestler. I mean, I'm, I poke some fun at him now because of uh, just the way he looks. I mean, that's kind of bad. We, we should probably cut back on that and give the guy some respect <laughs> because he was the fucking man back then. I mean, he was untouchable. I mean, if you just we're not going to focus on the man. Don't come at us about the man that they are. Let's just focus on the work that they did at the time. Tonight, too, I think that's really important because this rivalry was just so awesome. And I mean, it was I'm talking about all the lead up and everything to WrestleMania. Was it 11 or 12 when they had the Iron Man match? I honestly could not tell you. I, I feel like I second guess myself on this. This all is the time. where we need Gary and Steve. We, yeah, Gary's pretty helpful. I think WrestleMania 10 was when Shawn Michaels fought Razor Ramon in the latter match. So yeah. that's out. And I want to say Brett and Shawn, that rivalry came after that. So I want to say WrestleMania 12 could be 11, but let's go with 12. All right. Either way. So this was like a, a an amazing story. Jose Lothario. Uh, the manager for Shawn Michaels and the buildup in the vignettes all about it. I was all about, they were like Rocky training to fight Drago in Rocky four The like people were talking about this and that Iron Man match. If you watch it today, it holds up. I mean, it's not, it's not anything to fuck with sequence after sequence has nonstop entertainment. It holds up. I mean, it's not it's not anything to fuck with. Sequence after sequence has nonstop entertainment. It definitely holds up today. I, when I first subscribed to WWE Network, I keep in mind, I hadn't seen a lot of now what's like modern indie wrestling where everybody's going lightning fast and you just see these incredible spots you've never seen before. So, you know, I went in a little bit blown away by everything, but... The Iron Man match with Brett and Sean, you're absolutely right. Still holds up. I think for me, what really stood out about the match was the first, what, 10 minutes where they're doing amateur chain wrestling, which I didn't even know Shawn Michaels could do. I mean, as a kid, you know, five, six, maybe seven years old at the most, I'm seeing Shawn Michaels out there just flexing with fireworks going off. He's doing drop kicks, super kicks, all this kind of stuff. So to see the wrestling side of him come out was really cool. And... It's just so it, it just showed off the skill sets of both wrestlers, right? Because Bret Hart's known for being this incredible technician. Sean maybe wasn't at the time. He definitely had great matches, but I don't think it was anywhere near this kind of style. So these two together in this match, it, it, it was incredible. And and I know MJF, you know, these days is always raving about how he had the best Iron Man match of all time. Uh, that, that's saying something. I mean, he's he's up there with some pretty sweet company. So I, yeah, I. I mean, we're kind of young. I was born in 84. Matt, you were born in 85, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so, but this was the first Iron Match that I could remember. So anything that happened before that, I didn't really know about. This is what, like, set the pace for me, personally. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Shawn Michaels, the his wardrobe, his look, the way he performed, the way he entertained his promos, everything. I was, like, obsessed and it actually, I have no reason to really hate Bret Hart. I only hated him because he was going up against my favorite guy. Because a lot for a lot of people, Bret Hart is like their favorite person. And rightfully so. I mean, his body of work is off the charts. 
and all the accolades that he's received are so well deserved from the family he's come from and all the accomplishments, how he's performed under, you know, he's got a crazy ass story. I mean, we can get into that for a whole nother show. Maybe Gary can do a deep dive on Bret Hart. I'm sure he'd have a ball doing that because, um, yeah, this this was uh, one that I thought I would mention right up top. So let, don't let me hog it here. No, for my lead off rivalry let's send it over to matt and see what his leadoff rivalry is well well i have quite a few to choose from uh before i tell you what my leadoff rivalry is i just want to say i it's so funny what you say about bret hart not being your guy because he wasn't Shawn michaels because mm-hmm. my guy was bret hart and i hated yeah. Shawn michaels because he wasn't bret hart and it's just funny now thinking about how divided everyone is on which guy was your guy because when they were in the yeah. ring you could see the real life expression and tension between them and you either liked the you know like baby face that was an incredible technician and had the cool sunglasses right or you loved the heel who was just cocky sexy boy he's not your boy toy though just keep that in mind um and no none of them would be who they are today without the other one so that's why i could never hate you matt for loving bret hart you either just you pick a side and just enjoy the action. And that's the beauty of wrestling. All the violence that occurs in actually real life sports wrestling or, or um, like football, like uh, SEC football. I mean, those people legit throw batteries at one another <laughs> because uh, like they're so loyal to their team and their quality of life depends on like how good the sports team is. This is just wrestling. Pick your side and let's just have fun because the better that we both do, the more fun we're going to have. And that's why I love wrestling. It's, it's great. You get it, to participate. It, that is 100% true. Uh, and it's so funny you say that because when we talk about Shawn Michaels and specifically him, it makes me think of NXT because for a lot of our listeners, if you're not aware, Shawn Michaels is one of the lead producers, bookers, guys who runs NXT nowadays. And before he took over NXT, or I shouldn't say took over, but started becoming a part of NXT, there were a couple of wrestlers who, under the tutelage of Triple H, got into the business, got into NXT, and had one of the best rivalries I have can recall uh, in recent memory. It was Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Mm. So this this rivalry started, I want to say it was around 2017, 2018. There was two matches for sure that stand out in my memory. The first one was, uh, well, prior to the matches, these two are part of a tag team. Tommaso Ciampa yeah. out of nowhere turns on Johnny Gargano, takes a year off because he's injured immediately after. Well, NXT made the best of it because in the meantime, they start building Johnny Gargano as this underdog who just is doing everything he possibly can to win. And then he starts to win eventually. And you're still with them. You're still on this journey. And Tommaso Ciampa returns. And it's the, the match that everybody's been waiting like a year for. And so that match happens. But it's not enough. And then we have Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano 2 at NXT TakeOver Chicago, which Mike and I were fortunate enough to attend in person. Seriously, one of the coolest, most fun street fight matches I've ever witnessed, uh, especially in real life. And then it did lead to a blow-off match, I think, for the NXT title at some point down the road. But I think mm-hmm. by that point, they kind of passed the peak of this rivalry. Um, but despite all that, this was probably... One of my favorites, I I was so invested in it, I remember. And that's really saying a lot for me because 
one of the things about having a podcast like this is I feel like I tend to keep wrestling at an arm's length. Like I never really just let myself totally get into a storyline. Um, mm-hmm. I think CM Punk is the one exception because he, there's just something about the way he draws people in. Uh, and he's just, you can tell he's himself as a wrestler. Like it just works. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that would be the one exception, but regardless of that Champa Gargano is right up there in terms of one of the storylines that I've probably ever been the most emotionally invested in. Well, and I think it's mainly because the turn was probably the biggest turn in maybe NXT history when NXT was so, so hot. I mean, I probably came into NXT four years after it started. Uh, I think you guys on the show, Charlie, Matt, Steve, have been watching a little bit before me. But when I met you, then I started watching. And it I mean, we we were in on the heyday and you guys were in on the ground floor on a lot of things, mm-hmm. but I do. So DIY, this was Champa and Gargano's tag team. They were like best buds stood up at each other, best men in each other's weddings, oh, like super so tight. And then, I mean, they kept it tight in the ring and FTR. They are today. They were called the revival. Was that their name? Right. Yep. And that yeah, was, was like them. the big tag team rivalry. So they got each other over the respect that FTR gets today probably wouldn't even exist if DIY didn't exist. So um, the turn, I think it was in Chicago, but the Chicago before the one that we saw. Him, so that's why that match, that street fight match was so important in Chicago because it's like, oh, you're after the big turn. And <laughs> it was crazy. They just beat the revival and then uh, or lost to the revival. It was a crazy ass match. Uh, Champa, you know, takes Gargano's head. You can even see him mouth some words right before he does it. They're like, all right, here we go. Yeah. And then he just rams his head into the LED boards and then I think puts him through a table off the ramp. People are like, what the fuck? I just bought this DIY T-shirt and now you're <laughs> breaking up. What the fuck is going on? So people were pissed. It was probably, I don't know, I can't remember a bigger turn in NXT history. So, yeah, that did set up the rivalry. Like you said, Matt, it was like a two-year thing, mm-hmm. maybe two and a half. So those two were two badasses, and Ciampa's from Milwaukee, so we've gotten a little more invested in him. Gargano's like this undersized dude who like has no business wrestling, but he's good, and we love him. So, yeah, great fucking pick, Matt. I love Thank it. You. Absolutely. So I don't really have um, an NXT one. And there was an NXT is actually a really good promotion in its heyday to wade in as far as rivalries go, because it's those rivalries that get them over into the big leagues. So they're both so dependent on one another. Um, I mean, the rivalry, I'll just go. This wasn't written down on my sheet. Let's just go to the female division. It's Sasha Banks and Bailey. If yeah. Steve was here, he'd be stroking it right now. And if he's listening to it, he's probably unbuckling his pants right now because I know <laughs> he loves this story. And I mean, I was a little late to the game. I think I just caught the tail end of like it, but I think this was like, you know, a year long buildup between. And these were like the females that were, you know, actually big superstars in this era. Uh, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Bailey. I mean, it, the NXT was just kind of like a mill, not a puppy mill, but a female wrestling mill. 
but they were cranking them out at that time. So we witnessed the heyday of that. Stratus and Lita were the ones that kind of like set it up. And now it's like, okay, we can multiply. There was two great icons. Now let's get four up there. So I think the Bailey and Sasha Banks rivalry really did shape what women's wrestling was when it was at its strongest. Would you say, Matt? Yeah, 100%. The women's revolution, as WWE went on to call it, doesn't exist without Sasha and Bailey, in my opinion. Um, you make a really good point. I think Steve and I, for sure, and a few others got in on the ground floor with NXT. I, I wouldn't say on the ground floor, but a few years in, right around the time where I think Bailey had just come into NXT. She was really green. Sasha was, I would say you could tell she was getting bigger, but she still wasn't great. And I remember, I think it was like sometime around 2014, um, I had a coworker at the time who was really into NXT. So we would talk about it at work. And I, co- I come into work one day and I remember him uh, saying, hey, did you see the women's match last night? And I had, and it was actually Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. And mm-hmm. it was by far the best match on the show. And up until that match, I don't think I'd ever said that or seen that on a show before. So it was really weird, like weird, but like in an awesome way. And so we talked about it for a while. And then that got me that much more invested in NXT because I'm like, oh my gosh, like if the women's matches are this good, like I'll watch this all the time because why wouldn't you? And mm-hmm. so eventually Bailey comes in green, gets better and better. She gets into this beef with Sasha and it was basically just Sasha's a bully. It was just kind of picking on her and Bailey, try as she may, couldn't really fight back because you could tell she was like she was getting better, but she still wasn't at the level where she could beat Sasha Banks. And it all culminates at I think it was NXT TakeOver Brooklyn when uh, Bailey versus Sasha happened in like 2015 that match. I mean, even now it's it's a great match. You can watch it back. It holds up. Um, it like the moves are basic, but the crowd is so hot and into it. And you can just tell based on every move, the gravity of the situation and how big of a rivalry this actually is. And then, uh, you know, all that being said, Bailey then goes on and wins the match. I mean, the pop at the end, the whole thing was just perfect in terms of timing. They knew exactly how fans felt about both wrestlers. They didn't push it. It just happened to fall into place at the right time. And that is very rare in wrestling nowadays. Word. And I think WWE fans in the WWE era, they were the most fun in NXT when it was the strongest. Because now that it's 2.0, I mean, it's so so far from what it was. Um, You felt like you were a part of something when you were an NXT fan and you went to the small shows like here in Turner Hall where it sat like maybe 400 people, 300, something like that. And, you know, you would buy the T-shirt of like someone who wasn't a big star, but you like were hoping they would be or like whatever was in your eye that you spied about that wrestler. You wanted to support them. It was, it was, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful time. And those ladies Today, I mean, they will be in the Hall of Fame. All of those ladies will be in the Hall of Fame for sure. I mean, say what you will about the Hall of Fame itself, but they will be honored. And they came from that place and they both were so codependent on each other. So very important rivalry there. Um, Matt, are you taking us out of NXT and taking us into another federation right now? Or what do you think? Uh, yeah, 
It's like you're reading my piece of paper virtually here as we talk. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to jump again uh, to another modern rivalry, and a lot of these I realize are going to be a little more close to the present. Mike and I were talking about this before we started recording. There's a million great rivalries out there, and there's no way we could cover them all tonight. But rather than doing the fans a disservice and talking about a rivalry that we may not have all the facts on, maybe they were before our time, maybe we just don't remember them that well, I want to talk about something that I have a connection with, and I think a lot of current listeners and probably a lot of people who watch wrestling now will too, and that's CM Punk versus MJF in AEW. It's a very mm. recent rivalry. So, mm-hmm. of course, it stands out in my mind, but that doesn't take away from how awesome it was. For those of you who watch AEW, I want to say it was 2022. Like, I feel like it was very recent, even though it already feels like a lifetime ago. There's an evening where MJF comes out. He's doing a promo. He's just doing his usual shtick. It's right after a pay-per-view cycle has ended. So naturally, they're going to set up a new opponent for him. And CM Punk walks out. MJF offers to shake his hand. Punk looks at his hand, laughs in his face, and just walks away. And that just sets in motion one of the best heated rivalries in modern pro wrestling history. I mean, for sure in AEW, probably a lot of other promotions as well. Um, Goes on to lead to like two really phenomenal matches. This dog collar match that we saw between the two of them, probably one of the better dog collar matches in recent history. Just a great great rivalry um but unfortunately then some things transpired with punk and he's just come back to aw at the time of this recording so we'll see where things go but yeah that was probably one of my favorite memories blah excuse me favorite rivalries in modern memory i threw myself a tongue twister and didn't even know it so so mike i i'm sure you've seen this rivalry as well i know you have we've texted about it what do you think (laughs) <laughs> well, I just want to say Zack Sabre Jr. just put your tongue into an incredible <laughs> technician pretzel. If anyone could, it's him. Totally. Yeah, uh, Matt, I love this because we do have to keep it a little current because our peak wrestling fandom right now is right now. That's how important wrestling is to us. And CM Punk and MJF, okay. These are two of the best shit talkers in the game. CM Punk being the first to basically do it on this level. We haven't seen anything close to MJF. If you, I mean, let's just be honest. Nobody fucking does it better than this guy. And he's still so young. So you can't even pump his tire and put him over as much as you should. Because the guy is accomplishing things at such a rate for his age that is it's incredible. He's a he's kind of Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm not I don't want to call him a prodigy or a Mozart because again, it's just so hard because he's so young, but he is must see TV. Should we feel like this in the modern day era? Because we've seen so many good people do it before us. It's like, oh well, MJF isn't like um, you know, superstar Billy Graham or Dusty Rhodes or Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin, but <laughs> I don't know. He's kind of doing he's kind of doing things right now. And now he's paired up with a guy that people stroke it to. And I've talked about this on the show before. I'm not a CM Punk guy. I just appreciate how much he makes other fans happy in wrestling. So that's fine. But I love MJF. 
So when those two go at it together, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it isn't anything that any other federation has right now as far as success. WWE doesn't have that kind of buzz. No. I mean, they they kind of think they do maybe in Vince's demented kind of world. And WWE fans think there are, but there isn't that genuine. This is like, this feels close to the indies because CM Punk came from the indies. MJF came up on the ground floor with AEW, which is, I mean, it's mainstream, but it's still indie to the respect of the fans, I would say, Um, even though it's on a, you know, a streamed network it's big they make a lot of money they have a lot of financial backing but they out of the two most major federations in america aew and wwe i would say aew definitely does that for the fans what they give us what we want to see and they've acquired cm punk and that rivalry basically kicked up the biggest drama in aew's history too like People, Charlie and Steve, I was like, did you see the the interview afterwards? Like, who talks about the interview after a main (laughs) event on WWE? They don't even have them. Right. So, and then you're reading on Reddit, you're reading on Twitter, like, oh, is he going to be suspended? This this gives you the same kind of feeling, like, Mike Tyson is going to be the referee for Stone Cold and, (laughs) like, like. Is he going to knock somebody out? Like, you know, I better watch and see what the thing is. That's what rest. That's what you want to get in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And for Tony Khan being so like young and like new to the business, but a lifelong fan, he pressed the buttons. He got people talking and like, look at them now. They sold out Wembley and they're going to Toronto and they do him forbidden door. They started in Chicago. Like he started like it's a humble beginning. And but seriously, take a step back and look where they are right now. Mm-hmm. And it's the buttons and the booking that he's been pressing that I think a lot of other people want to be a part of. And this rivalry definitely defines that for sure. It's so a great call, Matt. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you nailed it, man. Like I think about, so a few weeks ago, we had the chance to talk with Greg the Hammer Valentine, one of our guests. Um, for those of our new listeners, welcome. Go back and listen to that episode. It's pretty awesome. But one of the things Greg talks about is you can't keep anything quiet nowadays because of cell phones. And he's absolutely right. But somehow AEW, I feel like more and more finds ways to crack the code on keeping things quiet still surprising people and i think even simple surprises now are so welcome in pro wrestling because they're just so infrequent so mike Mm -hmm. like like you said following what's going on like every step along the way with these guys even if you don't know if it's a work or a shoot real or fake for those of our new listeners it's so fascinating to follow. And this feud, I think, is the perfect example that AEW continues to pump that kind of stuff out, right? But this feud got so personal and really blurred the lines between, are they really shooting on each other or what's going on here? Um, also, just how captivating both guys are and true to themselves makes it that much better. But but yeah, this was definitely an all-timer for sure. Absolutely. And it's kind of like, 
because CM Punk came from WWE and now he's in AEW with a ground floor person like MJF, that just rivalry within the rivalry kind of like gets people's attention. Mm-hmm. And nobody did it better than Eric Bischoff when he took WCW and created the NWO. Oh, which I think is basically the rivalry that made wrestling kind of a juggernaut that it is. I mean, you can say what you will. I mean, Vince, yeah, he, he made wrestling a juggernaut. He killed a lot of family businesses by breaking up the territories, but like it's Hollywood now it's, it's a, I mean, it's a cash cow. Mm -hmm. It is something amazing. And he couldn't be amazing that he is without Eric Bischoff doing what he did with the Monday Night Wars of WCW on the WWE. And it's because he created just a little something within his own federation. He took the name of the the entire federation and then created an opponent for it within his own company. Freaking crazy, right? And everybody... I mean, there was so many dominoes that fell, um, you know, towards the back end of this rivalry, WCW and NWO. But the beginning, I don't think there's anything stronger. I mean, the thing was a tsunami. You're like, what the fuck? Uh, Hulk Hogan's a heel and his name is Hollywood and he's dressing in black and his sideburns are brown, but his mustache (laughs) is gold and he's got new music and he's got Razor Ramon and Diesel next to him. But their name is Scott Hall and his name is Kevin. Like, what the fuck? Like he created so much disruption against what probably Vince was trying to build. He's probably like, God damn it. I was just trying to annihilate and like have like literally a territory holocaust and just gather it all up for himself. He figured out like, okay, this is how I'm the best. I just kill everybody, right? Well, there was a guy who was like a formidable opponent who had no business even being there. He was like a reporter and then just worked his way up. He's like, he's an amazing entrepreneur, Eric Bischoff. I mean, say what you will about him right now, but pff, fuck, when he was a killer, he was a fucking killer. He disrupted the McMahon vision but made him stronger Mm -hmm. too so him not creating the nwo having or or like trying to do what vince was doing like get the best stars and the biggest attractions into your own federation that you own that's how you make the money so he got hogan over he got these other big guys and they know they would walk because fuck if you have to work less make more where what's the where's the uh challenge there like what's the decision obviously you're gonna make more money by doing less work by going into this company and that's what he did and he got some of the best but when it got to be a little too much then that's when the dominoes fell but i'm just focusing on the rivalry tonight um it's it, it's a huge contributor to what we are realizing as wrestling fans today you look back on it. You can go back and watch it on AE and E um, rivalry or uh, biography. They do a good job, but I mean, just watch anything from WCW. That's why I'm a strong wrestling fan today. Was because I was a WCW guy, um, but I was flipping back and forth between the Attitude Era during that time. But the Attitude Era was con- like basically created because of this rivalry too. So I mean, for a lot of us, we were kind of all in between but like we said earlier matt 
you with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, you either had a guy, you were either a WCW guy or AKA an NWO guy or gal, or you were just focused on WWE in the attitude era and both weren't wrong, but a lot were flipping between the two too. So yeah, yeah it was a fun time. That was a fucking a day for sure. It was, it was really divided. And I've talked about this on past episodes. I was not a WCW guy, but despite that, I knew who the NWO was and I knew enough to know there was a rift between them and WCW. And for real at the time, I I knew wrestling was not 100% real. I'll say that. But this to me felt real, um, even from a distance. And I didn't really know what to make of it. And maybe that's why I didn't really buy into it as much as a lot of other people did. So I ended up sticking with WWF. I really mm-hmm. wish I had you know, lived through that rivalry between WCW and the NWO. Just to, everybody and their mom had a NWO t-shirt. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Like, like all my, just, it was oh, the simplest t-shirt probably cost a cent. It was, it was either that t-shirt or the suck it t-shirt. And I was in the suck it crew. So or Austin three sixteen. Yes. Like it was a great day for t-shirts. Gosh. Back yeah. Then. You think about it, and it's like, do kids wear wrestling t-shirts to school anymore? For those of our listeners, send us an email, keepthekfabe414 at gmail.com, or hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Tell us, do your kids wear wrestling t-shirts to school, or have you seen this? Well, whenever I see a fan wearing a wrestling t-shirt out in the wild, I make sure to be like, like I was at Strawberry Fest this last weekend, and shout out to this fan. He was walking down with his stroller with the baby backpack on. Matt, this is going to be you someday. So, (laughs) you know, perk your ears up here, bro. So (laughs) I see a fellow dad and he's wearing an Adam Cole baby with the with the two fingers up, like right down Main Street. And I'm like, Adam Cole, baby, made his fucking day. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You got to shout him out when you see it. Every time. It's so funny. So if you don't watch wrestling, number one, why are you listening to this podcast? But number two, it's so strange how it's a community of people who you see someone on the street wearing a T-shirt that says AEW or Adam Cole, baby, or Limitless Keith Lee. It could be anything. And a lot of people might not even know what the hell it's about. But it's Bearcat Keith Lee. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking like more current, but yeah, Bearcat. Those that are things yeah. probably worth like five thousand dollars if they made a Bearcat Keith Lee T-shirt. I, I know. I it would be great that or one with a picture of Adam Cole and it just says Keith Lee's manager under it. Oh, anyway, so funny. this is such a weird following because I I too I like I swear I was in Italy on our honeymoon and I saw a guy in an AEW shirt and I just kind of subtly kind of gave him a nod and did the two sweet sign with my hand. Cause mm. you don't know what language people speak. Oh, yeah. So, but he knew exactly what that meant. And of course Fuck he yeah. smiled and did it back real low key, <sighs> just in passing. That's the beauty of wrestling, man. It defies languages, cultures, societies. Like it is what it is. You can it, do the NWO sign and even like, you know, do the two sweet to him. You can uh, fuck, man. If somebody threw a toothpick at me, they would know <laughs> that I'm a Razor Ramon fan. I, I'd love him for it, but he might be throwing a toothpick at me for a sign of disrespect, but I would not get into a fight. I'd be like, oh, you're a Razor? You're a Razor fan? 
Yeah, and it would at least de-escalate the situation quickly if he was pissed. <laughs> well, I put him up in the razor's edge and, um, you know, <laughs> put him through the hibachi table because that's probably where the toothpick would happen. <laughs> that shrimp gets in your teeth if you have too much. So, all right, whose turn is it, Matt? Is it mine? Fuck, I don't know. Um, all right. Well, well actually, let me. No, it. I'm sorry. It is my turn because we just talked about WCW and the NWO. So, moving on. We have to go back even further, and I feel like this one is kind of a a layup, a softball, if you will. It's Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, because we haven't covered that area yet. It's literally the biggest rivalry of all time. Yeah. It's what made WWF at the time what it is today. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's so much, and it's funny because it was only several months, I would say, of build, and Andre turns heel. Bobby Heenan's his manager. He kind of goads Hulk Hogan into a match at WrestleMania. And, you know, Hogan slams Andre the Giant. Like, that spot, the final spot of the match, is probably one of the most, like, replayed things on WWE Network, well, now Peacock, of all time. Every time WWE has a show, if you watch kind of the intro where they have all these clips from the past and years gone by, that is one of the clips every time. So... Mm -hmm. It has to be mentioned. Um, it was interesting seeing Andre as a heel for the first time. He'd been a baby face since, you know, whenever he started wrestling, like in the early 70s, I want to say. So seeing him as a as a heel giant was just interesting. I remember as a kid, um, I was really young at this time, but I remember seeing like posters for wrestlemania 3 before it had even happened kind of showing hulk hogan is going to be facing andre the giant i remember thinking to myself like deep down and obviously i would i was like two or three so i was really little and take this for what it's worth but i do remember thinking to myself and feeling that this was a big match so that alone i think speaks to the gravity no pun intended you know because andre of the situation um it was just it was just a great rivalry. You can't go on without mentioning it. Absolutely. Because if we didn't mention it, there'd be a lot of our loyal listeners that have been through us or, or been with Keep the Kayfabe from the start. That'd be like, these fucking young idiots. If they don't <laughs> say Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan has the best rivalry of all time, then fuck them. So, you know, we're doing it for... The followers, but we do know. I mean, I was six years old when this was going on, I think. Or were we seven, Matt? We were probably like in kindergarten. You probably were six. No. Was, so this was WrestleMania three, which was in 1987. So oh. I, like I said, I was probably so three, I was three years old tops. So I was four. No, I yeah, yeah I was three. Um, But no, I knew about. Like, I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling, but I knew who Hulk Hogan was. So, mm-hmm. like, sorry, mom and dad, mission failure on that. <laughs> That's how I got addicted. The more you tr- take it away from me, the more I want it. And, yeah, I did know who Andre the Giant was, too, because I would look at him and the way that he bent the ropes. Nobody bent the ropes like this guy when he leaned up against it. He was like he was the attraction. Why? Yeah parents out there don't deny your kids from watching wrestling guide them during it mm-hmm. like say the right things don't try to just cut it out entirely yeah it's violent but 
there's history here. And I mean, again, we're here for a reason. We are passionate about it. And uh, maybe your kids will be too if you kind of let them watch it. So, yeah, tune in on TNT for AEW. <laughs> maybe WWE, you can ease them in because it's kind of a kid show. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll all get there. But no. Uh, yeah, this was the rivalry that is the thing that was like the Apollo mission when man first walked on the moon, basically. Um, like there wouldn't be a space program if man didn't walk on the moon. Basically, the rivalry is Neil Armstrong stepping foot on the moon and it's Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Yep. Is his name Neil or is it uh, uh, Louis? No, it, sorry. <laughs> you're thinking of the yeah. old jazz player. No, yeah, yeah. Is it Neil Armstrong? The Neil Armstrong who, was the astronaut. Yeah. All right, good. And Balls Buzz Aldrin was his co-pilot, right? Yeah, his name's not Balls Aldrin, just Buzz. But yeah, <laughs> they called him Balls because who would go up in a fucking rocket in the '60s? <laughs> like there wasn't even the internet. <laughs> Like, who the fuck went up there, man? Balls Aldrin. What do you call him, Balls? Uh, have you seen oh, the guy? He, oh, yeah. He got um he got into a rocket that was made of, like, sheet metal and, like, all these shoddy wires and fuses and hooked up to computers with people that went to, like, Dartmouth that has been smoking hella weed that, like, mastered physics. Like, there's no reason why we should have went to the I don't. Do you think it exists? I thought we were talking about Hogan and Andre, but I'll talk about this. Yeah. Well, we don't have to. It's a yes or no question. No, I think we did. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. (sighs) Well, no, this is just dawning on me now after, you know, a couple cocktails and rivalry discussion. It's hard. It's it's hard to fathom. But Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I compare that rivalry, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, to basically man stepping on the moon. And it's launched all these other rivalries from there. So it has. So, um, Mike, what about you? I know uh, that that's my big one from WWF in the early days. Do you want to talk about tag teams at all? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been kind of building. I kind of I've been liking the momentum that the show has been building because we've started from something and we went to you know the biggest stuff and i don't want to like close the show with anything small so i'm gonna take off maybe two of my entries but i think this rivalry holds up because it is so influential in the indies because i think these guys had this such indie feel and their story was so indie um where they came from uh their humble beginnings and their creativity, I think, is, and you see it today. And it's got to be Edge and Christian versus the Hardy Boys, right? Am yep. I picking up what you're putting down, Matt? I, I had this one, too. It's the only tag team rivalry I was able to come up with. It, yes, there are tons. But, again, we only want to talk about what we feel comfortable talking about. And I think Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys was the tag rivalry of our generation. Um, these guys were huge in the early 2000s, you know, just a few years before the big indie movement started with Ring of Honor and other promotions like that. So, yeah, Edge and Christian, man, like those guys, 
And Edge has talked about it in interviews, talking about how they were the smaller guys on the show, which is hilarious because what are they, like 225 or something like that? They are not small guys. Um, But Edge has talked about how at the time they were the small guys in the land of giants, so they had to make themselves stand out. And if you've ever seen any of the TLC matches, you know that they were willing to do anything to make that happen. I remember watching this as a kid and thinking to myself, this is the craziest shit I've ever seen because mm-hmm. who would in their right mind would do this? And keep in mind, I was the one where like I knew wrestling wasn't a hundred percent real, but like I still, some part of me still thought is the undertaker really trying to crucify Stephanie McMahon? Mm-hmm. Like, why would he do this? Right. We were in the Keeping, sweet spot. Yes. There was a sweet spot where they definitely had me. Um, but these TLC matches, dude, it was more like, no, that's fucking You can't dumb. fake that. You I mean, can't. those are hard objects going up against men's small layers of flesh protecting bones. Like yes. the sounds that the ladders were making and the tables that they were breaking, mm-hmm. like you can't fake that when they say, you know, it's still real to me, man. I mean, <laughs> they, he was probably an Edge and Christian versus Hardy Boys rivalry big fanatic so shout out to him it's so funny because watch it when you mentioned the sound of the tables breaking and the ladders and all these different things it's it's what's crazy is you watch a match like that nowadays so in like the current era this happens pretty frequently actually where there will be ladders tables chairs whatever in a match and despite that you'll see the ladders break almost every time and you can tell they've been pre-cut kind of to break because they want the dramatic effect Back in the day when these guys were doing TLC matches, and I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but man, you could tell they were really bumping off of legit like, hey, what's that ladder doing over there? One of our tech crew is using it. We're going to put it in this match and get crazy. Well, and it's still sharp when it breaks. There's still like a margin for error. Like if you if you are jumping off of something 40 feet tall onto something that's on the outside of the ring, which makes it lower. I don't know what the fucking math is, but it's a big drop. And I Mm -hmm. mean the force, and then it makes it jagged edges. Whenever Matt or Jeff Hardy does it and he holds his elbow, like I legit thinks he's hurt every single time. I know. And he probably is. I don't know. It's hard for me to say I'm a Mark, but whenever he does that, I'm like, there's no way you can be okay. These guys are willing to not be okay for a couple of fucking drunk idiots or, you know, young fans or sophisticated fans or people that are signing their paychecks. They don't give a fuck. I think it's a lot of it is personal. They they're challenging themselves. And that's like inspired another generation. You know what my favorite moment was from this feud was when Edge climbed up to the top rope. Jeff Hardy is on top of a ladder trying to grab the tag titles. The ladder gets moved up from underneath him. Edge spears him off the top of like where the belts are hanging and they just fall all the way from that point to the ring. And just the look, if you go back and watch it, the look on Edge's face is absolutely incredible. He just kind of looks right at the hard cam with kind of that dazed look and tilts over and he's laying there. Um, I saw an interview with him years later after that, and they talked to him about that match and he's actually kind of watching parts of it back. And that moment when he and Jeff Hardy hit the mat, 
he says he basically was like if you think of the expression like seeing stars after you get like hit really hard he said that's exactly how i felt like it was kind of like birds chirping stars flying around his head and he just kind of tilts over and falls down under the mat of the ring i mean how many times can you get clocked like that in your life before that was probably the best time that he's ever felt stars in his life because he just became immortal with that spot though too so he was maybe in a euphoric state but he didn't know but i'm sure he was on a lot of pain pills at the time too absolutely i wouldn't doubt it um that was probably the best moment though for sure that entire entire rivalry although i think it was actually the dudley boys we got to give them honorable mention Mm -hmm. we're gonna mention hardy's and edge and christian I think my favorite spot was Bubba Ray Dudley at the top of like a 20 foot ladder in the ring gets dumped out and falls through four tables on the outside. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever seen that in WWE until that point. It was just one of the most like satisfying, insane moments from that entire series of matches. And people f- kind of forget during that match too, there was some run-ins from every respective party was it spike dudley for the dudleys lita Mm -hmm. for the hardys and then rhino was like in there too for someone (laughs) like every party that was involved of that tag team there was a run-in for Mm -hmm. and they had their own little touch in it so i mean that spot was the most memorable but it was a big match and i mean if we go back and look at that WrestleMania, I might want to go back and watch that whole show. We always reference the What Culture podcast on this episode. They do a ranking of all the WrestleManias, and they always put WrestleMania 17 at the top. Damn. And they regularly mention it on their show as being the best WrestleMania of all time. Probably one of the best pay-per-views of all time. It's definitely in the top three or five, I would say. But yeah, every match on that card... You know, even the undercard is so amazing when you think about nowadays what they went on to become or how special it was at the time. And we were just seeing it for the first time. And that's how the whole card is. So, yeah, if you're going to rewatch any WrestleMania, I think 17 is the one. Mm. I like it, Matt. I think that's must see TV. And that's might be what I will settle down with tonight. So, um, yeah, before we get out of here. We might not get to all of the rivalries that we've written down. And by golly, I know we haven't hit all the important ones. And um, we're going to probably receive some heat online for not covering it. So make sure you do let us know which rivalries we didn't cover tonight. Follow us on Keep the Kayfabe Facebook. It's Keep the Kayfabe. Or send us an email at keepthekayfabe414 at gmail.com. So, um... Before we get out of here, we like to do just these three things. What, three things? What, what are those three things? I need you to remind me. I can never remember. Well, when you do a rivalry show, you, it's very important to remember. You got to stay humble. You got to stay hungry. And you got to stay hard. Oh, 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 Triple H. Yep.